Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarosky Show for May 19th is moments away. But before we do this, let's thank these unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this podcast. Unions like... The International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. And the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thanks, unions, for sponsoring us. If you're listening to this and you're in a union and you're like, boy, I'd like to sponsor that show where they're in the attic and the brown line goes by (laughs) every 10 minutes, holler at us. BennyJShow at gmail.com. Become a sponsor. We'd love to have you. That's correct. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Long time no talk to, CFL. Let's get one of you guys on our show. What the hell? Let's get Ryder back. Ryder, Don Villar, Jake Lewis. Come on. Let's do this. Ryder, we need him in this this attic. All right. So Ben had a song of the day ready, but he keeps forgetting that uh, he doesn't get to pick him anymore. It's it's the live stream (laughs) audience that gets to pick him. And we do have a request here. Let me look through. Ben, uh, give everybody a recap of what we're going to be talking about today while I look at the live stream chat and pick our song of the day. Oh, I got all sorts of philosophical, great philosophical paradoxes we're going to discuss. We're going to talk about uh, my search, my continued search for a Republican who uh, does what he actually says you should do. Uh, It's an ongoing search, always looking for Republicans who uh, step up and do the things that they say. They live the life they say they're going to live. We're going to talk about Shia Kappos. Uh, the reporter for Politico, her journey to Wisconsin, hung out with uh, people at a bar in Kenosha. It was, a very, uh, it was an excellent coverage, I want to say, by uh, Shia Kapos and Politico about that. So uh, that's just some of the things we'll be talking about. Guys, great show today, all right? And as every show, well, now we've got the brown line there, as you can hear. Yes, there goes. But we have a song of the day. And Ben, you get to pick, all right? You got Uh-oh. two options here. Uh, you have either Brianna's request, which is Rubber Band Man by The Spinners. Oh, I love or, that song. Or, or, or. Rubber Band Man, Rubber Band Man. <laughs> well, I guess How much rhythm, grace, and soul can one man have? Sorry. Uh, that's it. That's our song. Uh, wait, of the what's day. the other one? Well, you already sang it. Uh, uh, we Are the World is uh, Doogie's. Oh, We Are the World. Uh, we Are. Then Dylan comes in. Yeah, you got to be. <laughs> Everybody else can sing in the song. Have you ever heard this song, Dave? Yeah, I've heard it. We are the world. So everybody can sing, you know. And uh, so, you know, Quincy Jones put it. Check the egos at the door. It's like the Ben Jarofsky show. When you come on this show, check that ego at the door, right? <laughs> everybody check their ego. Everybody's singing. Everybody sings so nice. You know, these are really great singers. And then all of a sudden, Bob Dylan comes in. Yeah. <laughs> Who let him in? Uh, I love Bob. just woke up. <laughs> just woke up. I smoked 12 cigarettes. <laughs> It's like Quincy Jones is like, all right, let's cut his part a little bit. And then your favorite is in there, D. Who? Bruce Springsteen. Oh, <laughs> gross. Hates Bruce Springsteen, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I think uh, Bruce Springsteen are his initials. BS. By the way, I'm already going to take this opportunity to do a little, uh, what do you call it, D? Tease. That's what you call it in the radio game. Uh, Bobby Diber will be on the show on Wednesday. And he is, of course, the downstate Democrat, uh, Dennis 
very envious of this, voted for him for governor in the Democratic primary in 2018. I did not. I rue that day. It's the vote that I let get away. Uh, and uh, Dennis has a I voted for Bobby D t-shirt that he wears all the time. Uh, but he's coming on the show. We're going to be talking about downstate politics and about the whole issue of the pandemic downstate. And he's in Madison County, uh, which is Dennis's home county, Alton area. And you're talking about uh, whether... Well, Dennis has a story about the revolt that's brewing down there. Anyway, a lot to talk about with him, but we'll also ask him. <laughs> okay, we got a lot of teas in here. Keep going, keep going. We're also going to ask him about the great Bruce Springsteen, Jimmy Buffett. Do not debate. Do not allow me to go finish that interview without asking him that question. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Tuesday, May 19th, and live from Ben's Attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the long-awaited return of our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Dukmasova. And now your host... Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this No Stress Tuesday, and here's why. Because we're not stressing. That's that's why, right, D? That's wrong. Yeah, right? Wrong. Yeah. No stress, okay? No stress, all right? No stress. I got up at 10 a.m., put my clothes on by noon, right? I was ready to rock and roll in the pandemic. Now, D got up at 8, went for a bike ride. No, it was raining. Well, you rode to my house. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, while I was getting up at uh, 10 and dressing at noon, I was wondering how in the world are, well, I'll just speak for myself because I think the young doctor is capable of doing it. How in the world am I going to get back in the swing of things to go back to the studio? Think about that, D. Think about those old days. I had to get up early and <laughs> get on down to the West Loop and <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Be right. I'll be on the train. <laughs> How in the world are we going to do that? I don't know. Oh, my God. We've been in the attic for how many months now? Three. Three months? Yeah, two going on three. Yeah, ass. two and a half months in the attic, man. But somehow or other, we're going to get it right. Right, D? As to, to quote Dennis, we're not Tom Broco. We're Tom Broke Ass. I just, there's really not relevant to absolutely Brokaw. We're not anything. Tom Brokaw. We're Tom Broke Ass. Okay. You know you got this thing now where, what, is, what did I say? Broco? What's his name? Broco, isn't Broca. it? Broca. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Fanatics. <laughs> I went trying. to radio school. Oh, man, it's Tom Broco. <laughs> Broca. Broca. Broca? Yeah. Like a crow goes caw? Uh, yeah. Broca? <laughs> well, we're not Tom Broca. We're broke ass. That's a good line by Dennis. What's on my mind? Great weekend. I saw Patty Cakes. Good movie. I urge everyone to run, run to see it. Uh, it's a, one of those uh, independent movies about a Polish-American girl from a blue-collar town in New Jersey. She wants to be a rapper. Excellent stuff. I urge everybody to go see it. What else? Saw so the last episode. The last two episodes, they were dropped on Sunday of The Last Dance, the Michael Jeffrey Jordan documentary. I'm not allowed to talk about Bulls basketball because it's a political show. Right, D? That's right. Yeah, so uh, I won't talk about it. That's correct. <laughs> we going to do the gag again? <laughs> one more time. Come on, man. One last time. Hey, D, there's some uh, teriyaki chicken in the uh, 
uh, on the oven. You might want to look at it. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Works better when you don't call to it, but sure, let me go down there. Yeah, it's right next to Tom Brokaw. <laughs> Is he gone? Good. All right, everybody's gone. I'll sneak in a little talk here. One last time. Uh, great, great documentary. I really enjoyed it. Just things that they overlooked. They should have done something on Craig Hodges. By the way, we have the Craig Hodges interview, which you can download and listen to. Uh, dropped it last Thursday. But uh, they that, they really overlooked Craig Hodges. They 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 just didn't right, want to. Oh, what are you talking oh, about? Sorry, uh, nothing. I was. <clears throat> Talking about how much I miss basketball and uh, how much I miss the last dance now that it's over. And I want the basketball season to return. So There's anyway. No chicken teriyaki down there. Oh, there wasn't? No. Oh. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. I thought you hate when that happens. Uh, but anyway. Fool uh, me once. <laughs> Fool me four times? Uh, I think we've done that gag five times, but who's counting? Uh, there was a great article in the New Yorker. I did a lot of reading this weekend. was up late a lot. Uh, see, you know, yes, it's true. I get up at 10, sometimes 11, sometimes noon. But I also go to bed at 5, 4, 3, sometimes. So anyway, there was a very interesting article in the New Yorker this uh, this week, I guess. It ran last week by a gentleman I never heard of before. Frank Ramsey is his name. The guy was absolutely uh, brilliant, a genius. He died at age 26 from a liver infection that he may have picked up during a swim. He was British, uh, so he's swimming in a river in London. He died in 1930 at age 26. I'd never heard of him, Frank Ramsey, but you know I'm not a uh, an expert in the fields that he was in. He at age 26 he was also uh, one of the most renowned economists, philosophers, and mathematicians of his time. I didn't know about him at all. You ever heard of him, D? No. Frank Ramsey? Yeah, I never heard of him either. And uh, so there was an article that talked about his great contributions that he made in just 26 years of life and how brilliant he was and how he just astounded everybody that uh, came in contact with him. Anyway, this one thing that just popped out of my mind and I've been running it by people, one of the things he did was he uh, explored the issues of uh, what uh, what did he say? Uh, Self-referential paradigm and the famous example, example, so this is like a philosophical uh, problem or a paradox uh, that he explored. So here you go, Dennis. One famous example concerns a barber who shaves all those and only those who do not shave themselves. Does the barber then shave himself? What do you think, D? I am lost. Okay, I'll, one more time. Here we go. <clears throat> Everybody, pay attention now. Uh, no dyslexia allowed in this group. Uh, one famous example concerns a barber who shaves all those and only those who do not shave themselves. Does that barber shave himself? If he only shaves people who do not shave themselves, does he shave himself? Dennis? Uh, ice cube. <laughs> okay. All right. I say he uh, does shave himself because when he shaves himself, he's not technically a barber shaving himself. He's himself shaving himself. Anyway, I just found that a fascinating thing. I've been asking people uh, about it ever since and get all kinds of responses. That's the first time I ever got the response of Ice Cube. <laughs> Uh, anyway, what else? What else was there? Dan Mielopoulos wrote a uh, a great uh, article. I uh, ran last week, but I finally got around to reading it this weekend. Dan Mielopoulos, an old friend of the show, has been on a few times. Uh, WBEZ political reporter, uh, and uh, he wrote about Darren Bailey. We talk a lot about Darren Bailey. D. I think you said we'd probably give him more attention than anybody else in the state of Illinois gives him. He, of course, is the downstate legislator, Republican, uh, who's been leading the charge against Pritzker's stay-at-home orders. Uh, he's the one who filed suit uh, saying that uh, the 
Pritzker went too far, and he should be uh, he should not have that authority to force people to stay at home. And he actually w- prevailed in a local court downstate. The the judge said that he, Darren Bailey, had the right uh, to go about his business. Though the pr- the problem with the lawsuit, of course, it just focused on Darren Bailey, so it gave him the right to go, like say, bowling, but. It did not require bowling alleys uh, to open up or free bowling alleys to open up. So really, he, he got a right that he couldn't exercise, but he stood up for his, uh, his right. And uh, so Danny Malopoulos uh, breaks down, gives a little profile of the man. I didn't realize this. I didn't know about Darren Bailey until uh, he emerged as a public figure in the last couple of weeks. But for instance, he was elected in 2018. I didn't realize that. I thought he'd been in office uh, longer, but he was one of the state reps that was targeted by the anti-Madigan crowd. Uh, They wanted to punish Republicans who had dared to vote uh, with the Democrats to uh, end the budget crisis. If you recall, in 2018, we talked a lot about that. Uh, That was the big topic of the day. There was three years, I think, the state went without a budget as uh, Bruce Rauner, Governor Bruce Rauner at the time, was trying to force Democrats to bend to his will on the matter of union rights, collective bargaining rights. He wanted them to strip uh, unions of those collective bargaining rights. And so uh, he, uh, at one point, I think it was, uh, yeah, I guess it was, God, the time is just merging. Uh, I would have been in the, the spring of 2018. They finally got enough votes to um, uh, pass a budget to override Rauner's veto of the budget. And so uh, Dan Proft and some of the other uh, right-wing Republicans in the state said they were going to punish the Republicans who gave the votes to override that veto. And one of those reps was a gentleman that Darren Bailey ran against and Bailey defeated him. So Darren Bailey was sort of the product of the revolt against the revolt uh, of Republicans who dared to vote with Democrats, if you follow all that. So I, I thought he'd been around longer than that, but he's a new uh, character on the stage. He's doing, making quite a name for himself already. He's going to be elevated to state Senate. There's a vacancy in his area, uh, and uh, he won the Republican primary, and there's no Democratic opponent, so he will now be a state senator. So Dennis is pre- predicting for the last couple of weeks that uh, Darren, Bale will, Darren Bailey will eventually run for governor. Uh, Darren Bailey in this article said he is not going to uh, run for governor. Um, but uh, we'll see. We'll watch that. Anyway, he's becoming the face of the revolt against Pritzker, the face of the MAGA hat crowd in the state of Illinois, the face of the uh, far-right Republican Party. I guess that's really the only Republican Party there is. Uh, there was just an article in the paper today about him, independent of the one that Dan wrote, an update. He's the, the legislators are going to convene this week, I guess Wednesday, they're going to go back in session. Uh, Michael Madigan has asked that all the legislators wear masks and, uh, you know, to protect themselves from the the virus. And Darren Bailey has announced that he won't wear a mask. Uh, So he's going to confront uh, Madigan and see, you know, let's see how this one plays out. Uh, He says that Madigan has extended his uh, gone beyond his authority to order him to wear his mask. He doesn't have the, the right to or, uh, authorize, to make him, to command him as a state rep to wear a mask. He doesn't think that there's a public health issue at stake. He feels that uh, masks are overrated. In general, he thinks that the government has gone too far 
uh, and uh, that is infringing on his liberties and the liberties of other Republicans, other people in the state of Illinois, just to go about their business without wearing masks. So he says he's not going to wear a mask. Eric Zorn wrote about this in today's Tribune. I urge everybody to read it. Uh, Eric says that uh, he believes that Mike Madigan should have the uh, sergeant of arms block Darren Bailey and keep him from entering the legislature. I've got to think about that, uh, whether I think the Madigan should go so far. Part of me you know, respects, i got to say, part of me respects Darren Bailey. Uh, he's, he's standing up for his beliefs. He says he believes in liberty. Uh, he says he believes that uh, government should not intrude on our private lives. Uh, he says he believes like in free markets, don't tread on me. I mean, uh, he, he, he says that uh, he cannot allow government to go so far and destroy our economy. So he says this is what he believes in, you know, and I, I have great respect for people, uh, a principal who stand up for what they believe. And then I read in Dan's profile that he had received over a million dollars in handouts from our farm assistance program. He's a farmer downstate. So wait a minute, let me get this straight. Mr. Don't tread on me. Mr. Get the government off our back. Mr. I believe in economic liberty. Mr. I'm not wearing a mask. Got his big paw out there taking a handout. Say it ain't so, DB. Another one bites the dust, D. Another Republican talking a big game and backing down when it comes to his, what he's going to do with his life. It's another one to quote Dennis's uncle, rules for thee, but not for me. You know, I'm just looking for one honest Republican in the, who actually lives by his word. I want one Republican who actually lives by the principles he espouses. In most cases, like I always tell you folks, there are principles, they're tactics. It's a big difference between a principle and a tactic. So disappointed, very disappointed by DB, Darren Bailey. Come on, stop taking money from the government. The whole point is if you believe in free markets and let the chips fall where they may, that's what people who say they believe in free markets say. They don't want the government to help them. Times get hard. No, no, no. You Times get hard. It's like that's where real men step up, you know, and you just let the market decide. So if you just believe in letting the markets decide, you would not take a handout from the government uh, to assist you because what? The prices aren't right for you to make a profit with your farm? Now, listen, I don't believe in that. I believe in supporting farmers, but I also believe that people who are unemployed should get unemployment compensation. You know, so it's uh, it's one thing. If sometimes it's my re Republican friends, they act as though when they get a handout, somehow or other, it's not a handout. But when some guy in Chicago gets a handout, well, it's welfare. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that kind of thing. So come on, DB. Anyway, found a great story in Political yesterday by Shia Kapos. Uh, and uh, this was a classic one. Shia Couples, of course. We uh, Dennis uses her all the time. Do you have any Shia Couples stuff today, D, in your news? Yes, I do. All right, Shia Couples, uh, <laughs> a good friend of the show, uh, whether she realizes it or not. But uh, she wrote a story uh, here. I had called it up uh, over the weekend. She got in her car, drove up to Kenosha, just across the border in Wisconsin from Illinois, uh, to check out the scene. Uh, at some of the local bars. And uh, let me just remind everybody, we talked a lot about this uh, last week. 
the state of Wisconsin has a Democratic governor, Tony Evers, and a Republican legislature. Uh, Tony Evers, the governor of Wisconsin, ordered stay at home, much like uh, J.B. Pritzker has done uh, here in Illinois. He said there was a public uh, health crisis. Need, people needed to protect themselves, had to close down the economy, shut it all down. Everybody stay at home. That was uh, his, his uh, ultimatum. Uh, and uh, the Republican legislator said he overstepped his bounds, that he didn't have the authority to shut down the state, that there was a, uh, a constitutional issue at, at stake, uh, the, the rights of the legislature versus the rights of the executive, and they wanted uh, him to come, Evers, to come to the state house and get their approval before he shut down the uh, economy. I kind of support that as a principle as well. I do believe in checks and balances, just like we had here in Chicago, where the city council uh, had a mini revolt against Lori Lightfoot, lost, but a mini revolt over whether she should have special emergency powers over the budget. Uh, anyway, so the, the Republicans in Wisconsin took it to court, and they got the Supreme Court on along party lines to rule in their favor. And the state has basically been opened up and immediately bars open, restaurants open, party time. All right. And uh, so she at Capos very, uh, you know, I got to give her credit. She had the right instincts uh, as a reporter. She drove up to the state of Wisconsin, went into uh, Kenosha and visited someplace called the Brat Shop. It's a restaurant and bar in Kenosha. Ever been to the Brat Shop, D? No, I have not. Have you ever been to Kenosha? Um, I like drove through it, I think, one time. Well, I've been to Kenosha, but I've never been uh, to the broad shop. But uh, the place was crawling with residents from Illinois. And uh, she was, she counted the, the cars in the parking lot. There was about 100 cars in the parking lot. About half of them, 50 or so, had Illinois plates on them. So she was making a very astute point here that even if you live in Illinois, you may not abide by uh, Governor Pritzker's rulings, uh, which is a good point. It's not like there's a great difference between people who live in Illinois and people who live in Wisconsin. You follow what I'm saying? And so these Illinois folks got in their car, drove right to Wisconsin. They just felt compelled to have a smoke, uh, to hang out with other people, have a beer uh, in a public place. Uh, and, uh, so she um, interviewed some of them, and they were saying, yeah, they just couldn't take it anymore. They had to get out. Uh, they were uh, just, the stay at home was driving them nuts. And, you know, I, I got to say this. I, I don't, my, many of my uh, Democratic friends get very upset when they see the photos of the people in the bars. Um, I, I have like a different attitude. You know, I, it's like, it's not like all of them are making political statements. There is the MAGA hat crowd that is just infuriated by Democrats telling them what to do. They're just really resent the fact that Democrats are in charge. In fact, I'll just be open about it. The MAGA hat crowd looks at Pritzker the way I looked at Rauner. You know, every day I woke up and I, Bruce Rauner was the governor, really irritated me. <laughs> could not stand Bruce Rauner. So I was honest about it, at least. I could not stand Bruce Rauner. He was such a phony and a fraud and a hypocrite. You know, he always talked about breaking up the Democratic machine and the whole time he was cutting deals with Mayor Daley. So he just, like, picked and choose which part of the Democratic machine he wanted to break up. Yay for our teachers! Uh, Yay for our teachers! <laughs> the next line! Yay for Ann Burke. I always forget that next line. Yay for Ann Burke. It was at a rally. Ann Burke, of course, Supreme Court Justice, Democrat, wife of Ed Burke. Okay. He didn't complain about Ann Burke, Bruce Rauner. So it, it really, 
Every day I wake up, ah, oh, Bruce Rauner's our governor. There's a lot of MAGA hat wearers out there. They wake up every morning, J.P. Pritzker. You know what I'm saying? It really, it just grinds their gear. I think DB's one of them. D Darren Bailey. I think every day he wakes up and it's like, he's got gas. Oh, God. Hey, Pritzker's the governor. He probably misses the days of Bruce Rauner. Oh, it was much better with Bruce Rauner. Hey, DB, come on, man. Get back that money. You I loved it when nothing was done at all. <laughs> now there's too much of something. That's a good oh, man. That's a good Dang, point. Darren. We go from one extreme to the other. Uh, anyway, so, you know, I can kind of understand MAGA hat wearers. I get you. You just can't stand Democrats. Okay? But, but I think what you were saying, though, is those people at that bar uh, is a bunch of people who don't care. No, that that was. Yeah, I, I was going to get there. But All thank right. you for reminding me. I was going to get there. Uh, <laughs> that is like, hurry up. Get to the point. No, I just want to make got, sure you didn't get sidetracked. <laughs> I got news to read. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Like two stories. Uh, oh, good. Let me talk a little more about the Bulls. Uh, so anyway, so yeah. So there are people. Uh, there's the MAGA hat crowd that just uh, hates the sight of it. And then there's like the insane people in the MAGA hat crowd, like with the Nazi signs. You know, I mean, and uh, the guns. I mean, there's some whacked out people in the MAGA. Hey, MAGA hatters, you got to admit, you got some whacked out people in your crew. All right. And you, you, I know you don't want to spoil the party. You want them, everybody who comes out to your rallies, you want them to feel at home. But you, when you're alone, just talking among yourself, you got to say, man, that dude is crazy. All right. Just saying. So there's a lot of nutcases in the MAGA hat crowd. And there's a lot of nutcases on the left, too. I, I will acknowledge that. Uh, but, uh, but not as nutty as that MAGA hat crowd. I don't know anybody in the left who weighs a nasty flag. Anyway, so, yeah. So, there are a lot of people making political statement, but as Dennis was saying, and I was saying, most of the people that go to these bars, that politics is not driving them. You know, they're probably not, I don't know, maybe they didn't even vote. Maybe, not, maybe they're going to vote for Pritzker. You know, it could be that one of these weird things where, you know, uh, rules for thee, not for me. You know, yeah, they, they kind of like the stay-at-home stuff, but they don't want to stay at home. And it, what it reminds me of, so many friends of mine who smoke cigarettes, and I got a lot, you know a lot of friends down through the years. They're always fighting the cigarette hook. You know they they want to break the habit. They know it's bad for them. They're, they're not completely stupid. You you know they just started smoking at an early age, got hooked, and now they can't stop. They need that cigarette, and they know the doctors are right that it causes cancer. That uh, it's probably, it could lead to their death, but they're hooked, you know? So it's like, yeah, man, I hear you. And then I watched them, uh, it, you know, as we restricted more and more the, the cigarette smokers' rights to smoke in public. Uh, I remember back in the old days at the bowling alley, cigarette smokers would be out there. Everybody was smoking a cigarette. There was so much smoke in that bowling alley. It was like I smoked a pack when I went bowling. And then gradually the rules, the, the, the state of Illinois finally passed a law that says you can't smoke in public. And so they were moved out into the streets. And now you see them congregating on the sidewalk. You know, they're like junkies smoking their cigarettes. And that's kind of what the crowd is at the Kenosha place. D, I really believe that. I believe most of the people there are not political. They just got to get out of their house. They want to sit at a bar. They want to watch sports on the TV, even though there's no sports. I think they like show old games from like the... 90s and stuff on the TV, you know, they just want to go back to their own life. 
I got last night. I got a text from my bowling buddies. They're like, oh, "I miss bowling." It was Monday night. I miss want to be at bowling. You know, so I, I'm gonna give them, you know, some slack. I'm not gonna hit them on the head. Uh, they just, uh, you know, they just they know it's bad for them. They know there's a threat, but they gotta get out. I mean, yeah, you care more than them, right? What? You care about them going out more than they care about them going out. So you can't really, you know, I, until they care, yeah. you know, as much as you. I what's mean, the point? My, I, I got to tell you, my attitude about them is I, I worry about the people who work in the bar, you know, that are protected. You know what I'm saying? Who have to work because they need the money. But it's sort of like a cigarette smoker, D. I mean, after a while, like, this is his decision. Of course, now, ultimately, I could pay the price. Some guys could go to the bar, spread the disease. I could end up getting the disease, you know, somehow or other. It could could come back to haunt me. And I guess you could say the same thing about cigarette smoking. Like, uh, the the there's a larger cost of cigarette smoking. It drives up our insurance rates, et cetera, and so forth. Ultimately, it's their decision, and it it's a stretch to say it affects me. So it's just, you know, what can I say about human beings? It's a weird species. We got a great show today, everybody. Maya will be here at 2 o'clock. She's got a lot on her mind. She's already worked it out. Talk about a lot of political stuff with her. And um, happy to say that Mark Sims will be making his return. We'll be doing an interview with Mark at about 3.30 and dropping it later tonight. I look forward to talking to Mark. He's already been sending me all these. He Mark Sims is a real big believer, and we got to open things up. Deep. He's like, I've had enough of this stay-at-home stuff. Let's open up the state. Yeah, it's going to be available for download, guys, uh, not live stream. So go to Chicago Sun-Time, Chicago Reader websites, wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Download tonight's interview with Mark Marcus Sims. Marcus Sims. Marcus T. Sims will be here <laughs> at uh, 3. I don't know if there's a T in there. So looking forward to all that. <laughs> Plenty of political talk. But before we do that, young man from Alton, the man they call the doctor, with the news. Hey, guys. How's it going? Everyone hanging in there? Yeah? All right. I'm doing better, by the way. I was about to jump out of the attic window on Friday. <laughs> the doctor, man. Doing a little better. Still a little burnt out. But let's talk about what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois we this We had a great bike huh? ride. This. Talk about your bike ride. I rode my bike. To? Mount Prospect. That's a long ride. <laughs> Today we begin in the city of Chicago. No public event scheduled for Mayor Lori Lightfoot. She's staying home and saving lives today, guys. And maybe she's having a bit of a hangover from the day she had on Monday because on Monday, Lori Lightfoot toured a corona, uh, coronavirus testing facility with none other than actor Sean Penn. Oh, I saw that, yeah. The Chicago Tribune's Gregory Pratt writes, Sean Penn, who's known for his humanitarian work, said his organization exists to help governments and other organizations address public health issues. And Ben, get the bong out. We have a quote from Sean Penn, and boy, <laughs> is it deep. Here's the quote from Sean Penn, quote, We like to think of ourselves as a quick, unbureaucratic weapon in the arsenal of bureaucracies. <laughs> uh, Over my head. No, wait a minute. Time out. You were doing your Sean Penn accent from Fast Times or Ridgemont High, right? I guess. Yeah, yeah, sure. What was the guy's name in Fast Times or Ridgemont Spicoli. High? Spicoli. 
That was Sean Penn's character's name. Yep. Yeah, he was always battling with uh, Ray Watson or the whatever the Ray. What was Ray's last name? I can't remember. The te- Frank. What's Ray's last name? The 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 actor who played the teacher. It was some funny stuff. And then uh, uh, Sean Penn's character o- o- uh, ordered the pizza. Remember that dude? <laughs> uh, so that was where your imitation came from. Yeah, but well, it, it's well, kind of a contradiction within that. Uh, do you know what this quote means? I don't. Read, I don't, it, to, read it one more time. Over my hillbilly it, head. Well, it, we, there's a contradiction in there. But go ahead. We like to think of ourselves as a quick unbureaucratic weapon in the arsenal of bureaucracies yeah i mean i guess he's saying that he's like he can work within bureaucracies uh so he uses celebrity status to gain gain him entree and then once he has that entree he could get people think you know it's not far different much different than willie wilson right willie wilson goes around and say i'm gonna get i'm gonna cut through the red tape and I'm going to get these masks out to people, right? That's so, you know, like, so Willie Wilson is the anti-bureaucrat on the right. And Sean Penn is the anti-bureaucrat on the left. And don't, come on, D, don't you sometimes get frustrated? Uh, when, like when you, when you got some kind of problem with a credit card company or you got a problem with a utility company or uh, you got a problem with the water department, whatever. And, and you're trying to deal, try to find a human being. You know, you make a phone call and you end up on a oh, machine yeah. and you just yeah, bounced yeah. around and uh-huh. uh, it just, it drives me out of my mind. Operator, I, yeah. please. Yeah. And Operator. You, and, and you're just dealing with, uh, hold on these mechanical voices, you know? And so Sean Penn is saying, I break through all that. It's like, you need masks? I got masks. I'm going to call Lori Lightfoot. We're going to cut a deal. It's just going to be like one celebrity to another. Cut right through the bureaucracy. Oh, that's what that means. Yeah. <laughs> I translate Sean Penn. Uh, yeah, I can make a healthy living doing that. I will now translate Sean Penn. And, and Willie Wilson, by the way. Willie Wilson's the same way. He's like, he's going to break through the bureaucracy. Remember he used to come on the show? I just want to get people money. You, you, yeah. why, why wait? You know, you got to file uh, forms, fill out forms. You got to be interviewed. No, I'll just come to the church. I'll give you the money. Hard to argue with that. You know what I'm saying? Cut through the bureaucracy. We have another quote from Sean Penn. Uh, It says here, quote, How come uh, I sign the front of the check (laughs) and you sign the back? Whoa. He has a lot in common with Willie Wilson. Ben, we're all dying to know here. What's your favorite Sean Penn movie? Uh, I've seen a lot. Let me think about this. He uh, the Sweet and Low Down was a Woody Allen movie he did where he played this uh, guitar player. Bad Boys. For, you ever see Bad Boys? With Martin Lawrence and Will Smith, yes. Two, uh, one, two, no. and three. Yeah, uh, no, maybe it wasn't uh, called Bad Boys. It was about, he played a juvenile delinquent who uh, from Chicago who ended up at a um, the facility in St. Charles. It was one of his earliest movies. It was a brutal movie, so... Uh, but uh, I would have to say that um, that Woody Allen movie is my favorite show. What was I, the name of that movie? I think it was called The Sweet Download. Don't quote me on this. Sweet Download. I could have it reversed because, you know, the, uh, you know, I got that problem. But uh, All but, right. Yeah. Well, we asked uh, some of our friends on the live stream chat before we got going today here. Their Ray Walton. Wait. Uh, wait. Frank sent me in. Uh, his character is Mr. Hand, the, the, char- the teacher. Uh so is it what's his last name though? Ray Summerado. Anyway, go ahead, D. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's all good. Uh we asked the live stream chat their favorite Sean Penn movie. Brianna said her favorite movie, I am Sam. 
You remember that one? Yeah, I am Sammy. The, the the Beatles songs were featured in that one. I saw that one. I've seen a lot of Sean Penn movies. <laughs> yeah, it was a good movie. Uh, Jim Irwin says, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Spicoli. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's Fast Times. It's funny, man, Sean Penn. And everybody after that wanted him to be that character, you know, and he was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm an actor, man. That was just one role, you know. And Johnny Joe says, 21 grams. He says, no, it's not my favorite Sean Penn movie. It's what my uh, last ounce of pot weighed. Okay, <laughs> Triple J. Good Lord. Uh... <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Triple J. Don't read if you're looking to hire Triple J, don't read the Vendorovsky show live stream chat. He's uh very honest on there. Uh by the way, my favorite Sean Penn movie, Mystic River. That's correct. Oh no, was he in Mystic River? Yeah. No. Yeah. That's a Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, he was in that. Are you sure? Yep. You want to put a little wager on that one? I'm very poor. For all of our listeners who can't wait for this stay-at-home order to end so you can get out there and start gambling at the casinos, first off, well, I'm gambling whether or not to go to the family dollar after the show, so I simply cannot relate. But gamblers, don't worry, because even during a pandemic, we are still on track to open up a giant casino in Chicago. Yeah! Give me that thing! us gambling and put a by the way machine I, up in the attic i sit corrected the young doctor from alton is correct <laughs> sean penn was in mystic river i yeah. sit corrected so you win the bet although we didn't make the bet well we're talking gambling so maybe uh, i may take the bet after all after the news here all right. uh the following comes from illinois politico and shia capo she got the scoop here chicago mayor Lori lightfoot remains optimistic advancing the chicago casino is still still a top priority for <laughs> oh, the administration <laughs> and we continue to work diligently to ensure that legislation becomes a reality as quickly as possible that was a quote from a uh, spokeswoman from Lori lightfoot they told illinois politico that on monday night in an email but the mayor does not have plans to travel in springfield they do look forward to working with state lawmakers next week on not only the gaming bill but also additional revenue measures to to bring resources to the city. The casino legislation isn't mentioned among priorities for the legislative session happening this week. Neither is the Clean Energy Jobs Act, which would raise Illinois' renewable energy target to 100% by the year 2050. Uh, High-profile legislation promoting data privacy, a cash bail ban, property tax reform, and an independent redistricting. Uh, redistricting commission also seem to be off the table good. for now. Ben, your thoughts? Well, good on that independent redistricting committee. That that's that uh, fair map scam they're trying to shove it down our throat. Uh, the Democrats finally have an advantage in one state, Illinois, where they control the House and the Senate, and uh, the moderate Dems want to give it away. Well, let's play fair. Like when do Republicans play fair? You watch the Republicans up in Wisconsin? Are they playing fair? So I'm glad that's off the off the list at the moment, the agenda, um, the casino. Wow. Well, you know, I do not know why, um, I have my issues with the casino before the pandemic, as you know, D gambling is a serious addiction that destroys a lot of families, uh, and a lot of lives. On the other hand, we need money. So I guess it's sort of like those cigarette smokers, 
uh, and the people at the bar in Kenosha. You know what I'm saying, D? It's a classic example. Here we go. It's like a perfect analogy for the, the people in Illinois going stir crazy, losing their minds, sick of being stuck at home with the wife or the husband, etc. and so forth. Oh, the bar in Kenosha is open? I'm going to go up there, sit at the bar, drink, go smoke in the parking lot, and then go back into the bar, drink some more, and look at a baseball game from 1995. Dude, I'm really <laughs> missing how life used to be. When That's you... how life used to be. They oh, jeez, go back to it so is it healthy for you no it's horrible for you you could get you know COVID-19 you get really sick on the other hand sitting at home and losing your mind so similar thing with gambling the whole gambling industry is based on the fact that you're going to lose the odds are against you it's set up for the casino to make money you know that when you go in there but there are some people who think, well, first of all, there's some people who don't care. They're like, I find this entertaining. I'll spend, what, $200, $500, whatever it is. I'll have a limit for myself. And when I lose all that money, I'll just go home. And it's a form of entertainment for them. And if they win, they're like, whoa, I beat the odds. And then there's other people who think they're so smart, they're going to beat the odds. We talked about this. Um, they, they won't even, if you count cards in a casino, they won't let you in. Because you're too good. If you figure out, if you figure out the gambling game so well that you can beat the casinos, they reserve the right not to allow you to play. So that's how fixed it is. If it's like if the, if I could use this basketball analogy, Dean, the Indiana Pacers can't get past Michael Jordan and the Bulls. So what they do is they say we're not going to let Michael Jordan play. Imagine that, and then they win. Oh, that's not hard uh in the 21st century we have to uh, tax vices so i have my issues with gambling to begin with but in the middle of a pandemic and then again let's folks let's remember the reason why the casino bill fell apart they they passed a bill last year that allowed the city of chicago to operate a casino and then all of a sudden mayor lifewood came back and told us that casino operators had essentially told her that the bill was structured in such a way as that it wasn't profitable for them to operate a casino, which think about that. The whole industry is set up to make give them the advantage so they always win or mostly win, and even that wasn't enough of an advantage. So now they want to go back to the Springfield to rewrite the bill so that more money goes to the operators and less money goes to the city or the state. So that's where we're at with this thing. And so I've have, I, I have problems with gambling in the first place, but really have issues when you're rewriting a bill to give even more of the proceeds to the people who are already benefiting in the first place. So I'm not going to weep if the city of Chicago does not get its casino bill. I know we have a lot of problems. Oh, my God, I just saw a story in the paper today. I think it was like a, a giant hole in the city's budget uh, because of the shutdown and um, we're facing serious budget crisis. So I realize we need money, but there's just something about it. Like we're to totally being used. You know what I mean? We're totally at the advantage of uh, the gambling industry on this one. And by the way, I don't know, like who's going to go to a casino? I know, I just, I guess the same guys are going to that bar in Kenosha D are going to go to the casino. Is that it? So I guess somebody will go in the middle of a pandemic. I don't care. I got to gamble. <laughs> I just look at the list of priorities in life with all this, you know, uh, exercising, surviving, uh, you know, uh, not uh, gambling is nowhere on that list. 
Yeah, I, gambling is not a high, but somehow or other, that's what it's on the top of Lori Lightfoot's agenda. We're going back to Springfield, and we're going to get the casino. I got a funny feeling we're not going to have it. I have a hard time believing uh, we're going to get a casino. You think DB is going to vote for it? Oh, Darren Bailey? More than likely. Yeah, you think yeah. he's going to vote for the casino in Chicago? Yeah, or? yeah. Oh, uh, hell, I don't care if they all die up there. <laughs> okay, well, I didn't know if that was going to be his quote if I said he. DB. <laughs> I think he's that bad of a guy. <laughs> DB. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, maybe, you know, well, who knows? Uh, I don't know what DB's position on gambling I'm is. Sure, he's a cautious farmer. You know what I mean? He probably isn't a big fan of gambling, to be yeah, honest. He's a cautious farmer. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. not gambling with his crops because yeah. the federal government's propping him up. Okay. You know? So, yeah. It's hard to lose when someone's paying your bills. Anyway, so I. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, that is not at the top of the anyone's agenda in the next. But we have a bigger problems we're facing right now than making sure we rewrite the gambling bill so that casino operators make, make even more money than they're already making. It looks like the Democratic caucus is uh, having a Zoom meeting today to iron out all of the details. Hope that doesn't go over 40 minutes. <laughs> We've learned the hard way on that one, huh? You got to pay money to go more than 40 minutes on the damn thing. Last week, we were doing an interview. Uh, two times two we did times. an interview on Zoom. And uh, so I I did not, a moment of a confession here, I did not realize the rules of Zoom. Uh, and uh, so I'm doing the, I, remember, I forgot who I were, we were interviewing, or I was interviewing. It, it, it was uh, the, the pot feller. Uh, oh, okay. Um, Norbert and uh, so I'm talking to a great great guy by the way I wants to open up a dispensary in Chicago anyway uh, so we're interviewing Norbert and it flashes on the screen and my you know what is it like 10 minutes to go yeah it gives like a two minute warning two minute warning Dennis is pointing to it I didn't know what the hell I'm like you see that right <laughs> yeah 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 I see uh, it all right cool it, cool all right I didn't know what it meant or what you know and I'm just chatting and Norbert's talking about the you know how unfair the system is and I'm sitting uh, here going, huh, I wonder how he's going to wrap this one up. And all of a sudden, just, well, I guess that's how we're wrapping it up. <laughs> kind of an abrupt ending. That's how it used to be back in the day uh, when I worked for a daily newspaper in uh, uh, Connecticut. So there would be a very strict deadline. You have to have your copy in. Uh, and I'd be like trying to think of the right words, just how to say it right. I'm sitting there in my typewriter uh, and the editor would look at the clock and see if the time was up. Literally, she would walk over to my typewriter and just pull. This is old school, folks. Actually, a typewriter with paper and a typewriter. Just pull the paper out of the type. We need that story. <laughs> That's how it happened. That interview's over. Well, thank you very much, Norbert. Uh, <laughs> that may have added a little bit to your stress last week, D. The bike ride helped you out, though. Yeah. Uh, and um, no stress on the Ben Jarofsky show, okay, everybody? So, yeah, no, that we, <laughs> I got a feeling uh, that Mike Madigan has an actual Zoom account as opposed to us up here in the attic. <laughs> the, the freebie account. Oh, Mike Madigan. Uh, Mike, we want you to have a Zoom meeting. Zoom. <laughs> Zoom your ass out of my face. No, Steve Brown, man, the brains behind the operation, the media guru. I'm not it. Zooming anybody. <laughs> 
the Cardinal fan Ugh. from downstate Illinois. He knows how to operate Zoom. Speaking of downstate Illinois, on to the Illinois news. Governor Pritzker ain't playing. I'm <laughs> not a perfect person. We are now in the middle of month two of Illinois stay-at-home order. And according to the governor, we are in phase two of Governor Pritzker's five-phase strategy to reopen Illinois. Let's begin with phase one. Okay, All we're right, not phase doing one. phase one. <laughs> We all know the phases by now. Oh, come on, please. All right, let's uh, do some news here. The following comes from WTTW Chicago. Bars, restaurants, and other businesses that open to customers in defiance of Illinois stay-at-home order now risk being charged with a misdemeanor. The new penalty level has been uh, in effect since Friday afternoon when Governor J.B. Pritzker's administration quietly filed the emergency rule. While Pritzker's executive order requires restaurants, salons, and gyms to remain closed to on-site patrons due to COVID-19, the rule change codifies it under Illinois Department of Public Health regulations, violators of which can be charged with a Class A misdemeanor as of Saturday afternoon, there's no indication it has yet been enforced. A Class A misdemeanor in Illinois is punishable by a fine between $75 and $2,500. Mm. Members of Pritzker's cabinet described it as a new and gentler, quote, tool that law enforcement can use to keep businesses closed during the coronavirus pandemic and therefore keep people safe. That's less severe than the other options like closure orders or stripping establishments of their liquor licenses. But critics describe it as an excessive and broad punishment and an overreach by the administration. Ben, let's stop there. Are you one of these critics that would describe it as an excessive and broad punishment and an overreach by the administration? No, absolutely not. In fact, I'm, think, I'm calculating. I'm thinking of it the way uh, a bar owner would think at the moment. So let's say you get fined 75 bucks. You'll make more than make up for that uh, with your first hour of selling beer. You know, and the jukebox. You know how much guys people throw into a jukebox? Oh, yeah. I mean, so... It's sort of like the cost of doing business. You just factor it in. So I, I don't think it's excessive or overreach. That's the Darren Bailey stuff. They're reaching too far, people. <laughs> I make something like I'm turning Darren Bailey into a, your old boy Alex Jones. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna eat my, my I'm gonna eat my neighbor. I'm gonna eat his ass. <laughs> what? Can he eat his ass? Or are you gonna eat that neighbor? Which one is it, Alex Jones? Ladies uh, and gentlemen, we have the documents. <laughs> Illinois, you gotta open back up right now. That Darren Bailey, he's a smart guy. <laughs> and if you don't open back up, Mr. Pritzker, I'm going to go there to your, uh, your office there and grab you about a shirt collar. <laughs> Damn you, China. <laughs> Alex Jones is in trouble. Jim Cook sent me that. He's in trouble. He lost his lawyer. I mean, he's talking big and bold about eating his neighbor's ass, but he lost his lawyer, D. I don't oh, know what he's going to do. He's... Alex Jones in trouble. <laughs> There's a... So, no, I don't think it's excessive. Now, if they started throwing... Uh, bar owners in jail that might be a little excessive you know what i'm saying so uh, uh I, I i said it before i'll say it again it's like cigarette smoking and um you can't really force people to always to do the right thing you know what i'm saying they're they just you're addicted to it's like gambling hey it's a classic mixed message we all know gambling's bad for you right it's a serious vice and yet we're bending over backwards to set up a casino in chicago so we can get people to do foolish things like throw their money away. 
and give money to the state. So somehow or other, it's okay when we set up a casino, right? Pack people in it. There's COVID everywhere, right? Because we need the money. But <laughs> damn you for going to that bar. I don't know, D. I don't think it's excessive, but I don't know if it'll work. I can tell you right now. I mean, if I'm a bar owner, I'll get fined $200, whatever, $75, and more than make up for it with the, the beer I sell. Shout out to Johnny Joe. He says Dennis should sub in for Alex Jones whenever Alex goes on vacation. Hey. Yeah, in my dreams, I wish. That'd be awesome. All right, Illinois House Republican leader Jimmy D, Durkin Donuts, Jim Durkin. Oh, there's the train. He's a Republican out of Western Springs. He said in a statement on Sunday, quote, these rules are illegal overreach and beyond the scope of the governor's authority. It will be a dark day in Illinois when we charge small businesses with a jailable crime for salvaging their livelihoods. State Representative Keith Wheeler out of Oswego said that the administration should have gone out of its way to re-educate businesses about the change before it took effect, noting that Pritzker said nothing of the rule during his last coronavirus briefing on on Friday, Wheeler said, quote, we're making a lot of crimes here out of a single rule with no oversight. Mm. Pritzker's top attorney, Ann Spillane, no, not Jim Coogan, guys. Ann Spillane admitted a misdemeanor charge could be seen as, quote, intimidating, especially if it was targeted at bartenders or servers. But because instead it's aimed at businesses, she said there's no threat of jail time and believes it's a less dramatic step than some other alternatives. She described the charge as, quote, very mild, like a traffic ticket. Nobody's getting arrested or handcuffed, but they are getting a citation where they would have uh, where they would have to go to court. It's not a dramatic increase. Uh, Illinois State Police Director Brendan Kelly said it's a rearticulation. Oh, that's a nice word. Rearticulation. Yes, yeah, like I said, it's the price of doing business in the age of the pandemic. If you own a bar, you get a $200 fine. You pay the $200 fine. You make up for it uh, in the back end with your beer sales and your jukebox and all sorts of uh, other things. So, no, it's one other. Th- but, you know, Jimmy Durkin is just playing the uh, the political game. Now, he's in a tough uh, situation, as I pointed out. Uh, Jim Durkin is the uh, Republican leader in the House of Representatives. He comes from a district in DuPage County. And they're probably more receptive to the notion of staying at home uh, in, to a large degree than folks down in uh, Darren Bailey's neck of the woods because the pandemic is more real. The, the, the outbreak is more serious in DuPage County. So, you know, Durkin can't go full MAGA hat here. You know, he can't uh, put on his um, give me the uh, liberty to give me death T-shirt and walk around uh, waving a Donald Trump forever sign uh, at uh, Thompson Center like Darren Bailey could. So, you know, he's got to play it. He's got to show that he's defying Pritzker, but he has to pretend as though he really cares about public health. So he's in a different uh, he's in a t- he's got a, 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 a tougher situation than Darren Bailey, who's because the pandemic's not hitting his constituents hard is free to say whatever he wants. So long as he keeps getting those, uh, you know, those checks from the government for the farm. Let's not forget that, D.B. So, yeah, there's a lot of political gamesmanship going on here, D. All right, everybody. So that's the local news. Uh, feel free to weigh in with your comments. Uh, you can reach us on, uh, by email, bennyjshow at gmail.com, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show, at gmail.com. You can find us on social media, at Benny J Show. Once again, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, 
uh, show, reach out to us on social media, or you can weigh in on the live stream chat. Let's read uh, what people are saying on the live stream chat right now. Uh, shout out to Kyle. Kyle, what's happening? Kyle says, a contagious, deadly disease is roaming this nation. Let's build a Petri dish of a, of a casino. <laughs> Good mayoral agenda, Lightfoot. <coughs> La Salle Street tax. <laughs> I'm with him 100%. Yeah, they'd rather have a Petri dish of a casino than a La Salle Street tax. Yes, uh, I'm with you there 100%. Who, who wrote that one, D? Uh, that was Kyle. Kyle, good job, man. Michael Girardi weighed in on the live stream chat. Uh, everyone who supports the casino but does not support the La Salle Street uh, tax and state graduated income tax, those people are the biggest problem we have. Yeah, I, uh, man, write a song about that, Michael. Um, Again, I'm going to be talking about this with Maya. We're going to be evaluating Lori's first year uh, in office. And, but one of the things she has made clear, she's not going to push uh, for a LaSalle Street tax. That's to put it mildly. So she's, uh, that is, that, that idea has been dropped. It, it, a lot would be required to get that tax. It would require uh, approval at the state level, but it's just interesting uh, are revealing that we're willing to push for a state law uh, that would soak people at casinos to pay for our bills, uh, people who probably can't afford it, uh, and give more money to the casino operators, but we're not willing to slap a tax on LaSalle Street uh, and take money from people who can absolutely afford it. Just our priorities remain a little off uh, in the state of Illinois. All right. Thank you very much, Michael, for that. Uh, Maya, can you hear me okay? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. What, what is that? It looks delicious. Um, and where are mine? Some Japanese coffee cake and some tea that I'm drinking. Wow, that Japanese coffee cake looks pretty good. But I'll, I'll focus, Ben, focus. Uh, so welcome back, Maya. And uh, of course, Maya, my uh, partner in crime at the Chicago Reader. Uh, and you told me already that you were working on a big story. So we're not allowed to talk about that story. Just to say, when do you have a sense of when it'll be finished and folks could see it? The next big scoop? Hopefully in June. Everything has been sort of complicated by the pandemic, obviously. But yeah, hopefully in June. All right. Well, there's a few things uh, on my list of uh, items I want to talk to you about. I want to talk about uh, uh, John uh, Catanzara, the new head of the Fraternal Order Police, and your little encounter with him, your, uh, which is, involves me and Dennis. We'll get into that. Uh, get your thoughts. Lori's uh, first year, one year is done. We'll, your evaluation of what that one year was like. Uh, but let's talk about something you did write about. I think it ran last week. I just read it yesterday, so I don't know when it ran. You know, uh, my reading schedule, the reader, uh, I'm used to be just a straight up get it every Thursday type of guy, old school, read the paper itself. And now um, I'm, it's more sporadic, hit or miss. Sometimes I read it on a Monday, sometimes I read it on a Friday. Uh, but anyway, you wrote about this new podcast, uh, Somebody. Uh, talk, tell people about this podcast. Yeah, so this is a, um, a podcast that was produced um, by um, Allison Flowers and Bill Healy at the Invisible Institute, and um, it really is a very interesting um, and timely story, a very tragic story. Uh, back in 2016, in March of 2016, there was a young uh, man named uh, Courtney Copeland, um, a young black man who was driving late at night to see his girlfriend in Belmont Cragen on the Northwest side and um, he was shot while driving and managed to pull his car over 
in front of the 25th District Police Station and tried to flag down uh, the officers there uh, to get some medical help. And uh, basically, they handcuffed him and treated him like a suspect before getting to the hospital. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now, yeah. Okay. So, so he died four minutes before getting to the hospital, and uh, he uh, afterwards, uh, his mother, um, Shapiro Welsh, who is really at the center of the story in this podcast, she's the one that whose voice we hear as kind of the, the narrator of the show, and also she's like the central figure in terms of who did the work to um, kind of bring the story of what happened to light. But um, basically, his mother uh, was, you know. Uh, trying to get some answers about what happened and who killed her son and encountered kind of a total lack of, of, of any kind of um, u- useful information or help from the police department. So this was in March of 2016. This was just about um, just a few months after the Laquan McDonald tape dropped. So that, that spring was when, you know, you have the, um, you know, election of Kim Fox. It's obviously a very hot time politically in the city. Um, it was the beginning of what would be the highest, uh, the year with the highest number of homicides in the city since like the, since the mid nineties. So, um, kind of a, a, a complicated, very tense time. And given the circumstances of Courtney's death, his mom thought that maybe the cops had something to do with his, with, with his killing and maybe he was killed by the cops. And maybe that's why she was encountering so much um, resistance and so 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 little useful information was coming from the police department. So ultimately, she kind of reached the limit of what she could do on her own in, in terms of trying to investigate what happened. And she got involved with the reporters at the Invisible Institute who um, started investigating the situation with her, sending out FOIAs, trying to gather information, basically trying to figure out what did the police do in terms of investigating this murder. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, what this podcast really demonstrates is this sort of uh, really deep lack of professionalism amongst the police officers involved in all of this, and really total incompetence in terms of investigating this situation. And uh, I think that to me, what seems so important about this is that it really shows from the perspective of the of, of, of the grieving loved ones of, of somebody who's been murdered. In the end, of, in the end, the murder turned out to be like a, basically a, a likely a case of mistaken identity. The the, the guy was driving um, uh, a BMW, and uh, there was some kind of gang activity in the area, and. Uh, the reporters are able to identify the likely suspects. They are, they interviewed dozens of witnesses. They gather hundreds of documents pertaining to all of this. They kind of put the picture together and they present all of this to the police. Uh, because about two years later, somebody else is killed in almost exactly the same spot, also driving a BMW. So, um, and still nothing the police don't really do anything with this information. There's incredible um, audio recordings in this podcast of the police talking to this woman, to the mother of the kid who was killed, um, in a very uh, kind of rude and defensive manner. And ultimately, uh, his case is still classified as a cold case by the Chicago Police Department. Um, there's some information online about it. 
but in the cold case uh, kind of social media posts that they use to put out information about it or solicit information about it, they misidentify the neighborhood in which it happened. So in which the in which the the, the murder actually took place. So um, I think that one of the things that we hear most often, and when there's a conversation happening about the low murder clearance rate and the homicide solve rate in the city is the police department, you know, the brass get up there and they tend to say, well, we don't have cooperation from the community. Nobody's talking to us. Nobody's coming forward with any information. But what this podcast does such an incredible job showing, really showing us, is that there are plenty of people who want to come forward, who do come forward, who do contact the police department, who call 911, who are willing to be interviewed, who are willing to testify, who are willing to be to give sworn statements, who do do all of that, and still, basically, the cops just aren't doing their jobs. So, um, I would, I, I, I've just been like, I feel like this is probably the most important cr- criminal justice system journalism that's been done in the city since the Laquan McDonald story. Um, I really feel like it's, it's it's such an important story and it's so important because precisely it shows not the sort of unusual but very tragic circumstances of a uh, of the cops killing someone uh and now let's uh move on while we're talking about police uh john uh canizaro was elected for fratern- the head of president of fraternal order police last week we talked about it on the show a bit and uh interesting character uh very proud supporter of Donald John Trump, lets the world know. Uh, he's had his run-ins with the hierarchy at the Chicago Police Department. That's putting it mildly. And uh, has set a number of write-ups. Uh, he was the gentleman who posed, I think it was a Twitter picture he put out there where uh, he was in full, he was wearing the police uniform and uh, he had a sign that talked about supporting the president, standing for the national anthem. Uh, and... Um, a proud believer in the Second Amendment and how much he loved Colin Kaepernick. He did not put the Colin Kaepernick thing in. That was a, a joke. Uh, liberty for some, not for all. But uh, anyway, John uh, Kenton Zara, the the police department, the Fraternal Order Police, Maya, had already been pretty far to the right, to put it mildly, from most of the voting population of the city that they work that they live in and work with i think 80% of chicago a little more than 80% voted for hillary clinton uh, in 2016 so with kevin graham the old fraternal order police uh, president they were already to the right of the city kevin graham was another supporter of trump now they're moving a little further to the right uh, you had your own little encounter of sorts with john you never actually met him but uh, why don't you uh, share that with everybody I've met him. Oh, you I've have met, met him. him. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, I've, I've, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's made frequent appearances at city council meetings and uh, other kind of uh, public meetings where police accountability issues have been discussed. Um, you know, around the community meetings for the GAPA CPAC uh, proposals. He's he's a frequent. He's frequently around wearing like a a, a mesh tank top with an American flag and like Trump emblazoned in the back. So, uh, but yeah, a couple of months ago, I guess this was back in February, you and I and, and Dr. D were walking down the street down Grand Avenue. And, um, were we walking down? Grand? No, Washington. no, I think we were walking down, uh, down Washington. Washington. Yeah. yeah. And, 
we walked past the, uh, the, the, the police union headquarters and we saw this uh, giant black truck uh, that uh, had some uh, interesting, noteworthy characteristics, such as, such as a vanity license plate that said MAGA, and then they had a, a D, an AK-47 decal and a, uh, a decal of a Punisher skull with Donald Trump's hair. So um, I just I took a picture of this and tweeted it and said you know this is parked in front of the police union headquarters and thought it was just an in- interesting thing to observe in in this day and age parked in front of the police union headquarters. So anyway, the the my tweet made it made its way to um, the Second City Cops blog uh, where it was reposted and then. Some people on there made some typical array of threats against my life and safety, which is just par for the course. And then somebody posted my address on there. But anyway, amongst the uh, uh, amongst the various comments, most of them anonymous, John Capzera piped in and said that he was the owner of the truck and basically said that there was nothing wrong with any of these details and uh, he's just supporting various businesses that. He likes to patronize and uh you know basically the liberals need to tough it up that was the gist of the message <laughs> liberals need to, i think he also refer mentioned you by name uh as well i i listen liberals need to toughen up i again i point out uh, that um i would have this debate with any conservative uh why don't conservatives toughen it up and uh, goes again. I was teasing when I said that he has a "I love Colin Kaepernick" uh, bumper sticker. But I, I'm always a little disappointed. In my conservative brothers and sisters—they talk about liberties, they talk about our rights that are uh, inalienable rights that we have as American citizens uh, to stand up for what we believe in, which I, th- I think is a principle, is something I could support, uh, Maya. But then when they don't like the message that. The other side is standing up to proclaim they want the other side silenced. They want the other side punished. So Colin Kaepernick doesn't have the right to say what he wants, to take a knee for the national anthem, to make his stand. Uh, They want him to lose his livelihood. Uh, They want him to be kicked off the team. So I just find this a very uh, frustrating paradox when I deal with the the, – the conservatives who espouse liberty for themselves, but for but not for people they disagree with. You follow what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. I mean, to me, the whole the the the, the thing that sort of is probably worth worrying about most about this whole turn of events at the FOP and 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 this particular person coming to head one of the largest police unions in the country is that like you know uh, it's clearly a person that sort of the questions of freedom of expression aside, uh, has 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 kind of taken on um, uh, has has displayed images and ideas on you know even on his truck as, as well as in his speech that you know I think a, a, a good deal of the population of the city would find like frightening and 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 wouldn't appreciate and wouldn't identify that with um you know the idea that the p- police officers are here to serve and protect them so 
you know, I feel like it's just sort of symptomatic of the increasing alienation between um, members of the police department and the community. I mean, I do think it is worth pointing out that the the union has about 16,000 members, and uh, when the votes came in, there were 4,700 votes for Katanzara and 3,800 votes for Kevin Graham. So in total, a little over 8,000 members actually cast a vote. So only about half of the police union membership voted for either of these guys. Um, so, you know, I suppose somebody could have a fair, to have a, have a, you know, a, a fair point to make about how really this John Catanzara is, is, is representative of about 4,700 of the 60,000 officers, uh, in, in the department. But, you know, Nevertheless, there you have it. This is the face of the union now. How many uh, members of the union did you say? 15, 1, 5,000? 16,000. 1, 6, 16,000. Well, so roughly 50%. Yeah. Well, it's a higher turnout than the Chicago There guy. may actually be more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they also, that's just that's how many rank-and-file cops there are on in the police department currently. But the union also includes retired police officers. So um, let me just check. We might have this mm-hmm. on there. Uh, oh, no, they represent, huh, okay. Um, they're saying on their website that, the, that they're the collective bargaining agent for the police and the union for 8,202 Chicago police officers. So it's a pretty good turnout. If that's the case, then most of them voted and it's still half of them that picked John Catanzaro. So, so uh, I would say this, the, yeah, you raise a very good point. Uh, I I remember uh, mayor Pawar raised a similar point. The former alderman of the 47th ward, I believe he was still an alderman. When he said this, he was talking about the last head of the uh, fraternal order police who had supported Trump and, and how to out of touch that is with where most people are in the city of Chicago. And so it's sort of problematic, this disconnect between the uh, union, Chicago, uh, the union for the, the police department, the police officers, and the, the people that they're policing and working with and living among. Uh, so there is uh, that disconnect. There's also uh, an issue that the Chicago police uh, are facing. They haven't had a contract, I forget how many years, and this is old game that the city plays with the police department where they're generally late on the the contract they string it out uh, they get the pay back at the end they get that retro pay but you go three years without a contract it's very frustrating the rules are supposed to you're supposed to have a contract so i share uh, a police officer's frustration at that similar with chicago teachers union so i'm with them on that one i don't know how electing uh somebody who is just boldly advocating for Donald Trump is going to help win over uh, public support uh, in terms of that negotiations. I don't know if that's the best uh, tactic to dip, choose, but you know something, Maya? Clearly, most members of the Fraternal Order of Police really don't care what I think, uh, whether I think it's a good strategy, and they don't care what you think either. Uh, they're further going to the right in a city that's very I mean, they clearly the don't even... I guess I would, I, it seems like they may not even care about their own contract because their their contract expired when Kevin Graham was elected four years ago. There's, there's been no contract since then, which I'm not sure if this is the longest the police department has ever gone without a new contract, but it's, it's, it sure seems like it. 
Well, I've, I've done stories in the past about uh, the way the city plays games with the police, police and fire. And uh, I put more of the blame on the mayors than I do uh, on the, the police union or the fire union. Uh, there's so many so many games that the police that the the city plays. I remember Mayor Rahm, for instance, uh, when he was um, he was delaying signing a deal with the the fire and the police, and then he did it right on the eve of his re-election run in 2015 in the summer, I think it was. I forget when exactly went down, but it was before uh, he had to face the voters, and it was like a very cynical move on Rahm. He was trying to separate in the public's mind. Uh, the, the various unions. So he he made that deal with the firefighters. I think he got firefighter support, for, at least from the international or from the national union. He got a contribution from the firefighters. Had sort of a tacit peace with the the fraternal order police going into that uh, that election. Meanwhile, his people were going door to door, bad mouthing the teachers. So it's an old game that mayors play, trying to separate one union from another, uh, divide and conquer, uh, and. Um, it, uh, so I generally, when it comes to the negotiations of contracts, put more of the onus uh, on the, um, the the city than I do on the unions. But they didn't really help their cause, you know, by electing as a, as their president a gentleman uh, who's just openly supporting Donald Trump and proud of it, wears it on his his uh, shirt and his car and everything in a city that's eighty percent Democrat. Just saying from a. I, What's that line? Optic standpoint. I don't know how well it works with the public. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, so anyway, uh, maybe one day I'll have John come on the show and we can debate these issues, see if he'll stand up for uh, Colin Kaepernick's right uh, for liberty. All right. Uh, uh, let's move on. Uh, Lori Lightfoot's one-year anniversary. It happened in the middle of the pandemic, and we talked about it a lot last week. Uh, our listeners were weighing in. I was telling you that we have sort of a left of center crowd that listens to our show. Uh, I like to call it lefty land. And mm -hmm. she did not do very well with our listeners. In fact, I gave her a higher grade than most of our listeners did. So, um, and of course, I'm very easy when it comes to grading. I believe in social promotion, Maya. So what's your uh, general evaluation of <laughs> <laughs> Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, after one year in office? Well, uh, you know, I feel like in in broad strokes, this the pandemic aside, uh, not a whole lot of things have changed in the city of Chicago. Um, I, I do think that it's nice to see her administration taking housing issues, uh, apparently a lot more seriously, uh, by revamping the housing department and, and making that a much more active part of the administration. But I think... In, in 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 general terms, I mean, things are sort of just chugging along the way that they were. I mean, all these mega developments are still getting built. Uh, you know, connected developers are still getting their demolition permits, even in the middle of this pandemic, like we're seeing with Hillco and Little Village, this whole disaster that's, that's, that's terrible for the environment and for the people there. And um, apparently the city still works for, for, for the people who it's always worked for. Um, and yeah, but I mean, I don't have a whole, besides that issue, I, I feel like her handling of, of, of the lockdown and, uh, communication around the, the public health, uh, concerns that are obviously top of mind right now have been fairly adequate. I don't see, uh, people, I mean, people are demanding more from the city and rightfully so, but it doesn't seem to me like she's been 
particularly, um, you know, that, that she's that she's that she's bungled. I wouldn't say she's bungled the response to this to this pandemic uh, in any way. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a quickly evolving situation, and I do think that there's there should have been and should be more focus and priority with the most vulnerable people who are suffering the most at this time, uh, particularly, you know, obviously people who are homeless, children who are out of school, uh, low-income families uh, who are disproportionately impacted. There's something like 40% of American households who make less than $40,000 a year are uh, reporting that they've lost work as a result of this pandemic. So, you know, a lot more could be done. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, I don't, I don't see, uh, I don't see any pitchfork moments coming down the pike at, from, you know, a year into her administration. You mean, but, but, but what do you mean by that? Pitch, like, you know, people out there with pitchforks and rebelling, torches. a rebellion coming. You know. Yeah. 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 Yeah, in other words, the thing about crises like this, Ben, is that it tends to solidify the powers of an executive. Look at what I mean. It doesn't even have to be an executive; doesn't even have to be responding in a particularly astute way. But if someone is able to marshal their authority in time of crisis in a way that is at least performatively convincing, they tend to do quite well. Uh, they tend to be viewed well, and and uh, it tends to be good for their political career. So the but. What I'm trying to say is the bar is pretty low. She's making the bar, but it's pretty low. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I that's a good point, uh, we, and we've talked about that. And that's where I have, uh, as bizarre as it sounds, some sympathy uh, for Republican legislators uh, who are standing up and saying you have to deal with the legislative branch. You know, it's it, you, what you just said was so true. Like in moments of crisis, executives they become like our big daddies or our big mamas and they're in charge and we look to them as leadership and we're willing to like sacrifice our freedoms and liberties to a certain degree because well it's a crisis and i'm like i always worry that they're taking advantage as a possibility that they're taking advantage of that crisis and that we're giving up too many of those liberties so for instance when it came to lori lightfoot i was with those aldermen the 21 aldermen who lost when they stood up for against her asserting her right to have complete control uh, over expenditures related to COVID-19. I didn't see why she needed that power. The mayor already has so much power and authority. We just we just got finished talking about the mayor's role and the police contract and the authority he or she has in that. So, I, yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm like, yeah. I don't know why you need more power. I can't imagine the Chicago City Council voting against you. You know, uh, I mean, I don't think the Chicago City Council is going to be like the Wisconsin legislators who rebelled against Tony Evers, governor of Wisconsin. You know, on the matter of the, yeah. the the shutdown. So yeah, I think you're right. I think executives tend to overreach in moments of crisis, and the public tends to allow them to overreach, which is yeah probably just as bad. Yeah, the thing is that had Tony Perkwinkle been elected, I just feel like right now what we'd be seeing on the ground would probably be pretty similar. There's kind of a limited range of responses to this 
to this whole situation, there's guidance from public health experts and from epidemiologists about what's best to do. You know, you have to institute the, those the, those guidelines and 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 be pretty serious about reminding people to observe them. And you know, there's kind of a there's not a lot to mess up. The biggest way you can mess up is just to like not do what the experts say yeah. in this kind of situation. So um, I feel like the yeah the the bar for competent leadership in a time like this is low because there are while it's chaotic and scary at the end of the day what you can offer as an elected executive is emotional reassurance but the things that are happening on the ground are going to be dictated by hopefully some kind of scientific expertise you know these mayors these governors they don't need to invent how to shut down they don't you know they don't need to invent uh, new tools for closing things down they issue an order. And then, you know, most of us just kind of follow it. Yeah. Most of us just kind of follow it. Yeah, that's true. Well, I got a feeling it's... Which isn't to say, I don't want to... Listen, I'm not trying to make any kind of veiled statements about how, you know, we're giving up our civil liberties by staying at home and wearing face masks. Like, I'm not, I'm not, in, I'm not in the stupid camp here. Like, we need to be doing these things in order for less of, fewer of us to die. Uh, but... Um, but yeah, my point is just that um, it's not. I feel like it's 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 if Andrew Cuomo is coming across as some kind of Captain America in this time, like it's really not hard to be an effective leader right now. You just really have to do like the bare minimum, not to totally and blatantly fuck up. Well, I could tell you this: I've lived through a few of these crises. I remember when people were uh, in after nine eleven, and suddenly George W. Bush was. <laughs> Came out looking like Captain America. Yeah, and <laughs> so I have to tell you that in that moment, I was a little like, I was a little like a MAGA hat wearer. I was not feeling it, okay? So, like MAGA hat wearers. Now, I was not going so far as showing up at the Thompson Center with a sign with a Nazi swastika on it, okay? But there are some parallels, you know what I mean? I felt as though I, 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 I wasn't willing to give all this love to George W. Bush automatically, just forgetting everything he had done up to that moment. So that's why I'm saying I could kind of relate a little bit, Maya, with the MAGA hat crowd, because I know like there's sentiments that drove me that were similar to them. But I do think they some a lot of Looney Tunes in that bunch. And that's uh, uh, like to I think I'm a little different than that. All right, Maya. Um, I was about to say, you know, I see in the future back in the studio. Can you imagine that? Like, I've been in this uh, attic for two months. I see just the first signs that the possibility of a return to the studio. Are you feeling that? Like mid-June-ish? Or... I don't know, man, if I'm feeling that. If I'm feeling that, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I understand going so crazy, but I don't know. I don't know how great it's going to feel to navigate my way down to the West Loop for that. Yeah. Wearing a face mask in the studio with you. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe, 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 maybe beyond mid I'm just trying to be optimistic here. All right, Maya, stay safe, stay sound, uh, and take care of yourself. We'll talk to you soon. All right. You too. All right. That's uh, Maya. Not feeling as optimistic as I am, D, about the. Yeah, the I return. told you we we were talking uh, before the show, and Ben's like, "Oh man, I think we can get people uh, back in the studio by <laughs> June." Like, no, dude. No. <laughs> Yeah, it could just be you and me in that studio. Uh, 
I, I got a, a couple of guests that no. I got a feeling will stop by. Uh, Mark Sims, he'll be in that studio, right, D? Guys, I fixed the uh, audio, so uh, we're good now. Uh, there was a little plug issue. I think we're good. I'm plugged directly into the wall. Sorry about that. We had some hiccups. Boy, uh, no stress Tuesday uh, did not go too well. Uh, yeah, I thought you handled it really well. <laughs> yeah. Can I just give a shout out to Dr. D? I thought you handled it really well. We can't, we made cool. We made cool. Stuff happens, people. Okay? Stuff happens. It's a live podcast in an attic with the brown line going by and some weird guy coming out of that porta potty. Did you see the weird guy coming out of the porta potty? No. You missed I think you were under the table plugging in. I'm like, who is that weirdo in the porta potty? Well, we should be good to go, guys. My apologies. We're ship shape here. We're good. All right. Everybody, give a standing O to the doctor from Alton, Illinois. That's correct. Uh, <laughs> Mother likes you. Eh? So, all right, D, we're going to uh, head out. Right. 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 Phase one. I just wanted to hit three at one time. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And uh, the great Mark Sims is on deck. He, he's got so much to say. He wants to return. He's ready to come back to the studio right now. Oh, and I tell you guys, you got to go download that separately, all right? That's what we do now. We do one interview. Ben and I talk for a little bit. The board gets unplugged, and I plug it back in. And then, uh, then we do a separate interview. So go make sure you download that tonight. Both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Also, go check out Maya's work in the Chicago Reader. I'm sure her latest piece is incredible. Go check out the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. Thank you very much. The, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Back home in Alton. Nope, they don't call him White Lightning. They call him Dr. Doobie. Give yourself a raise. Take it out, Betty Cash. Let's begin with phase one. That's correct.